Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Joining us today on the Hoop Dreams podcast, <laughs> straight out of Linden, New Jersey, a <laughs> Kansas Jayhawk. Yes, alumni yes. member of the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame. Not one number, but both numbers been retired at Linden High School and at Kansas University. Two times. Member of the 1997 inaugural. That means first, if anybody know what that means. The first <laughs> WNBA <laughs> draft class, FIBA world champion, a two-time WNBA champion with the LA Spark. Got Two one times. of the coldest pimp walks in the game. <laughs> a three-time WNBA all-star. A WNBA, according to me and AG and others in the world, she's an OG. G. We want to welcome to the show Tamika Dixon to the Hoop Dreams podcast. I'm Will Gates. That's my dog. Arthur AG, and we in the building. Yes, let's do it, guys. Thank you. Goodness. Y'all. <laughs> my goodness. Well, this is special. This is special today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. Tell my man, me and my dog, when was the first time you watched Hoop Dreams? And where were you? And were you with anybody? Um, I remember it coming on, and I just remember sitting watching it. And it was just, it was you guys' story, but it, it just seemed like a lot of the parts that you guys were talking about and speaking on, it was every kid's dream across the country at the time. And um, I just remember just being enthralled in it. Like, I actually just watched it again probably about five, six months ago. So, like, it's just wow. a, yeah, it, it's it's embedded in me. That story is embedded in me. And you guys, man, <laughs> yeah, it, it was like a cult, just a cult following. And, and everybody just, I remember everybody just talking about that. So, yeah. It was incredible to watch wow. you guys' journey. I'm 48, gonna be 49. You know, you ain't gonna tell my age. My grace speak for itself. Tell us, how did you fall in love with the game? Who put that ball in your hand? Definitely. So my dad, um, he was actually a, a you know big time hooper coming out of, of high school. Um, he got a full scholarship to attend American University, and actually coming out of high school, he wasn't really heavily recruited. Um, but mm. his, but his first year in college, he was, you know, leading the nation in scoring, um, all wow. of that. So he, he made a huge jump from, you know, senior year in high school to freshman year in college. Uh, but he was the guy for me. Um, he, you know, just watching him and I was little at the time, my parents had me when they were 17. So his senior year, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of was born. And so I kind of watched you know, all of that develop and grow. And um, he would come home, you know, from college. You know, I remember him taking me to the gym and just me running around and, you know, just falling mm-hmm. in love with it then. And at the time, you know, you really didn't know what, what it was going to be, but I just right. knew I was with my dad and and I was just, I just loved, loved the ball. So he kind of kept it around me, kept it close to me. And that's kind of how I, you know, started to fall in love with the game. I'm so glad you said that because uh, you was you was birthed into the game. Yeah. And that actually leads to this question because, you know, AJ and I, we like to do our podcast a little bit different. We, we like to know the origin story. So 
Tell us a little bit about your hometown, New Jersey. How big was your family, brothers, sisters? Anybody else ball in the family? So I'm the oldest. Um, uh, so I'm 13 years. I have a 13 year age difference between me and my second, uh, this my second sibling. Um, okay. So I pretty much grew up by myself. Um, but I grew up in a huge family, a lot of cousins, aunts, uncles. Mm. Um, so what we did, you know, growing up, we all hung out, um, all got together. But I had a, a, a crew of cousin Hoopers, basically. Mm-hmm. I was the only girl. And so, you know, they just kind of brought me up. You know, that's that's kind of how it grew. You know, we back then, you know, it was all about playgrounds. You know, right. you hit the playgrounds, you you play all day out there. So, you know, we go with our five, you know, how that mm-hmm. go. Go with your five. You know, if you lose, you let yeah, you might not never see the court again. So, you know, that's you right. Playing, that's right. You know, that's how it is. And that's kind of like how I developed, you know, that that killer, that killer, really. That killer instinct. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. She's telling us she the only girl with the cousins going to the oh, park, yeah. Will. Only girl. Come on. Like only what? girl. <laughs> and you wasn't, I mean, you wasn't afraid. Like you you was like, oh, I may, I may get hurt playing with these bigger guys. Like none of that was. And you? None of none of that. And you know what? It started when with my father, um, when he was playing, he was playing the pro am circuit when he would come home because he played overseas and stuff. He'd come home, um, and he'd play playground ball. That's what it was back then. Um, and he'd pick me up, and I play with with him and his guys. Um, and you know wow. they, you know you you know how it is. You know they like the girl. Who gonna guard the girl? Who gonna do this? Who? It was like that. You know, but then right. when I hit that first jumper, then, you know, they want to start playing all hard and stuff. Uh, so that's kind of right. how it was. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of, it kind of, that kind of, you know, it kind of went that way probably throughout my whole childhood. You know, once they seen that I could really hang, you know, it wasn't no problem. Right, right. But talk about them cousins a little bit more because a lot of people don't understand. And I just, I just got to go a little cultural on this. Yeah. People don't understand the roles that cousins play in our life. They're more like brothers and sisters. Talk talk about them cousins. Them be your first competitors. That's it. With my cousins, you know, we would all, and it was a bunch of us, we were all around the same age. So we would kind of just be competitive amongst each other at the park, you know, 21, play 21, play 31. And you know how them, them games get. Right. Then we just got tired of doing that. You know, then we start playing, you know, start trying to figure out, well, who, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, they play here. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they're here. So we started hitting that, you know, the, the outside courts and just going to the court. All the mm-hmm. cousins that got our five, you know, we just sitting out there, you know, and it'd be like, when you get there, you know, you got to wait two, three, four games to even get on. But we waiting. The guys in the community. Um, really embraced me. You know, they kind of let me rock out with them, and um, that's how I got good. So give us some name of them playgrounds y'all was coming to. So in Westfield, there was a court called Tamaquas Park um, that everybody went to. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays in Westfield, they had open gym from 7 to 10. Um, mm. And that was kind of like my father's era. So, But them games, oh, my, they, it was two courts. You know, you 
open court started at seven, but you better get there at about six fifteen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was really, really competitive. So Tuesdays we it was at Roosevelt Middle School, and then Thursdays yeah. was at Edison um, Junior High. But them games, maybe a hundred guys show up, and it's from all over the county. So it wasn't just yeah. in town talent. And it was mm-hmm. so much talent back then. It was just a lot of like really good guys. You know, Tamika, what I tell people today is sometimes like that, like it's totally different from playing on an inside gym than outside. Because like you said, you got to get up there early. And yeah. the reason why you're going to play so hard on, I'm talking about balls going out of bounds. You finna run hard to try to save it. You finna guard this dude extra hard because you know if you lose, you ain't getting back on for a minute. You might as well take your stuff and go. It's over. (laughs) That's right. Right. It's over. (laughs) Taking that into a gym and onto a high school team, a college team, like it was just that that, I think that helped us. Yeah, absolutely. That playground, man. Absolutely. That, oh, playground that, play, that playground intense. builds you. Yeah, it, it, builds it builds you. you. And it's and 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 most of the time it's older guys you're playing against. So you know what I mean? It's an older crowd. Yep. So you know they ain't yep. going light on you. You know yep. the rules. No blood, yeah. no foul. That's it. <laughs> they build you up. Yes, and you know yes. what? The thing is, the older dudes, they going to play so hard on you because they, they like, I ain't in no college or nothing like that, but right. I'm going to show you. I used to ball back in the day. Like, I, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, boy, right. you don't know nothing about me. I'm My, I'm my name, Big Willie. <laughs> That's it. Everybody got that story. Everybody got that story. <laughs> Everybody on the court, you got, you know, you, you got to earn a nickname. Yeah. What was Tamika Dixon's nickname? What did they call you on the court? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I I have I had a few. Um, but the one that kind of Oh, drop them. You got to drop them for us. You got to <laughs> yes, drop them. Yes, for you got to give us all of them. <laughs> In my LA Sparks game, they used to call me Tippy Toe. Um, I don't really know how that developed. Um, I used to cross, you know, my my signature move is the crossover. Yes, so I don't know is. how they got tippy. I don't know how they got tippy toe. You know how that happened, but they just used to say I, I used to tippy toe around defenders. I guess I don't know how it went, but uh, yeah, tippy yeah. toe is the latest one. <laughs> I could go Crazy. with that one because I watched I watched your game and I watched you come off of several of them pink the screen and rolls <laughs> and how you come off of there you you will be up but you will be oh, on yeah. the ball of your feet you'll be on the yeah. ball of your feet so you can get ready to whip that thing. Yeah, here's the thing too. I want I want to give credit where credit is due too, because what they don't give you a lot of credit for was you you really are kind of one of the originators of the one hand off the one leg move too. They don't give you the yeah. credit for that. But we're talking about the '90s. You was doing that. Yeah. It's popular now, but you was exposing that in the '90s. I'm yeah. like, Tamika yeah. was riding that thing hard already. But I gotta ask you this. So I know you're playing against the guys. Were there any female athletes, any ladies that you said, you know what, man, I I, I, will, I need to ball with them too. Was there any competition out there for you? Not until I, not really, truthfully, not until I got, uh, like when I started to hit that AAU circuit is mm-hmm. when, I, when I started to see kind of like the higher level females. Mm. Um, but it wasn't really until I got into college that I was like, okay, you know, these girls could go. You know, I, I really started to 
But in high school, I didn't really get that. And at the mm. time, in the early 90s, there wasn't wasn't a lot of um, like big time college basketball games televised. You know, you right. really didn't see it that much on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it wasn't really until I got to college that I really, you know, started to respect a lot of women around the league, uh, around the world um, mm-hmm. playing this game. Wow. Yeah. So playing AAU, what was it was it any of those D1 females that was going to D1 colleges that you played against and then once you got into college you're like, "Oh, I remember her." Like, yeah. That's when I started to put two and two together because, you know, my uh my sophomore junior year is when I started really my father wouldn't let me play AAU ball. Um uh, he just mm. didn't believe in it. He was like, "You know, whatever you're going to get on the AAU circuit, I could give you here." So, mm. you know, the cop. The That's AAU a real co- hooper dad there. Damn. <laughs> yeah. so, the, so the AAU coaches had to really come in and try to convince him, you know, uh-huh. that that was the way. And um, he said, okay, I'll let her play, but I ain't paying for shit. That's how that was. Wow. <laughs> I love my it. man. I like, love it. My man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So that so that was kind of like how it's you know how the AAU how the whole thing started. But it was you know you guys know even back then it was a little different. Um, Mm -hmm. You know now you turn every corner it's an AAU team. Back then it was probably like maybe four (laughs) four or five AAU you know top AAU girls programs in the state, Mm -hmm. and you had to compete with those four or five teams to even get a chance to play nationals, um, right. you know, go to the nationals or get that invitation to the nationals. So it was a little mm-hmm. different back then, but I think it was a lot more competitive because the opportunities were only for few, you know? Right. Um, so the, yeah, that was kind of like my introduction to AAUs. But when I, um, when I first got on my AAU program and then I, we got invited to nationals was when I was, it opened my eyes. I was mm. like, these girls, these <laughs> these girls could go. And then it was mm. like, you know, once I once I finally got, you know, started getting the publications and, you know, started mm. getting, you know, my name in the magazines and things like that. Then I started putting two and two together. Like, okay, I remember her from AU and this and that. And mm. it it kind of grew from there. But since the women's game hadn't grown to the level that it's at now, mm-hmm. like who who were you watching coming up? Were there the NBA pro guys, college guys, where were you finding inspiration at? Yeah, so it was mostly guys um, coming up. Um, my father was a huge Laker fan. So mm. I just remember, you know, I remember watching a lot of the Lakers of the 80s, you know, Magic, Coop, mm-hmm. you know, Byron mm-hmm. Scott, mm-hmm. those guys. Um, and then when I, when I finally started getting like heavily recruited, I started like, looking at started to look at some of the girls you know coming up andrea stinson out of north carolina state was mm-hmm. was big time for me yes. um dawn staley at virginia at the time yeah um, but her it, it wasn't even dawn that i really I, dawn was a baller she was a hooper she was she was the girl but her her backcourt mate tanya cardoza was the one that i really really liked um mm. So, yeah, but it was, you know, it wasn't until probably my junior year in high school where I started to get, like, started to look at, you know, other girls and say, you know, start to really pay attention to their game. Wow. 
So tell us about uh, Linden High School. What, what, where where is it at in, in New Jersey? What type of area? How was it going there? Yeah, so it's an urban, it's an urban area. Um, nice, nice town though. City, considered mm-hmm. a city. Um, and we're we're about uh, thirty five minutes from New York. Um, so we sit wow. kind of like Central Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. We had we our high school team was tough. Um, mm. We um, the girls and boys. You know, girls and boys um i don't know if you guys um know wally dixon main event he was on the aa1 aa1 and one circuit yeah we know um, main event yes. so he went to linden um he everybody thought we were brother sister but we mm. weren't um it was just a coincidence um but he was at <laughs> linden at the time that i was was in high school so the boys team was also a pretty good team a um, lot of talent come come out of Linden. A lot, a lot of talent. Um, but it was a good good town to grow up in. Um, had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then developed a lot of lifelong friendships along the way. So yeah, it was cool. Who was y'all rival in high school? Because I know um, that New Jersey that New Jersey area breeds a lot of basketball players out of there. It's a, I mean, it, and, and then back then it was, it was so much talent on the boys and the girls side coming out, mm-hmm. um, at mm-hmm. the time, but, um, rivals of ours was, um, we had a Catholic school, school union Catholic. Um, they was a rival of ours. Um, Clifford Scott out of uh, East orange, um, was a rival mm. of ours. Um, Piscataway, um, a, a lot of towns were just a, a lot of talent, man. And then, and in Jersey, you you could win the state championship and then continue playing. So we would mm. win. Um, there was different groups. You know, you have uh, group one, group two, group three, group four, all group um, according to the size of your school. So we mm. were group four, which was the biggest at the time. Um, and then once you won a state tournament, they had what you call a tournament of champions. So they put all the champions together and you compete mm-hmm. to play. Um you know, against all the champions, the group champions for the ultimate uh, okay. title. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was a fun time, a fun time. We never we never um, won the tournament of champions, but we were three time state champions. Wow! Um, and always got oh, always got upset when we got. I knew we, that's you right. know you know how it is. You, you yes. start feeling that victory, and it's like. Now, where would y'all play them state games at? Always at um, colleges, universities, Rutgers, um, Monmouth College, and all the tournament and champions championships would be at like the Meadowlands, where the when 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 the Jet uh, Nets were in New Jersey, mm-hmm. that's where they played uh, at the Meadowlands Arena. So we would play our tournament and champions game at the Meadowlands. What was that moment for you when you said, "You know what? <laughs> I arrived." Get, take us to that moment. Was it a game? Was it a practice? What was that moment? You like, ooh, I'm the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my signature high school game. I think this was when I I knew it was going to be about something. Um. It was the state sectional championship game. So it was the like the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing against Clifford Scott High School who had like three or four D1 players, um, you know, at the time. We were we were good. We had, it was myself um, and two other girls that, that brought the heat. Simone Gilliam and Rakia Johnson were, were my, you know, my sidekicks. 
Mm. Um, and we played against Clifford Scott. <clears throat> they were project. They were, I think, number one in the in the state at the time. Mm-hmm. So they were projected to beat us, and that I got to give you guys like the backdrop. Yeah. So the so <laughs> so that game, I was actually late to the bus. The bus left me. So you know, my ego was like, oh, the bus left me. I ain't playing in this game. And my uncle <laughs> was like, oh, heck, hell yeah, you are. You better get in this car. We going to the game. So I get to the game late, team warming up. They all mad at me because I'm late. I'm like, oh, Lord. So that was probably the best game, best high school game I had. We were down 15, 16 points at the half. Everybody thought it was going to be, you know, they were going. we were going to be over. It's going to be over for the season, all of that. Mm-hmm. We came out in the second half, and we put, put a show on. What you dropped? I dropped 38. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was like 38, 18 rebounds. I had like what? five or six blocks. I mean, it was it was crazy. And the thing is, in the first first half, because I had gotten early foul trouble. So I had to sit a little bit in the first half. I remember I played with like four fouls for, for like a quarter and a half. So so AG, let me let me give it to you what she just said. She said, <laughs> I scored eight points in the first half and dropped 30 on them in the second half. That's Pretty all much. I heard. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Pretty much. That was the game, I think that was the signature high school game where I was like, you know, I started to really get that recognition. Now what what year was this? That was my junior year in high school. Junior year. That was my junior year, yeah. So that was that was it. When the recruiting started coming in at that point too? So I was getting, I started getting heavily recruited really my sophomore year, but I think my, I, w- I had really arrived my junior year. Sophomore year was still kind of fresh and new and I was trying to figure things out. Junior year is when I kind of was like, okay, this is real. That confidence went to another level, huh? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know what? It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that story and you said you was late for a game. Yeah. My dog over here was late for a game too. <laughs> in the movie listen yeah. this was crazy this was crazy this was crazy about that he's crazy about look here you go I, I always tell people I wasn't late for the game but you know how you gotta be in the locker room at a certain sitting time sitting down with your uniform so, on you gotta be in the locker room by 6.15 I got there at 6.30 the game was at 7.30 Okay. Well, you know, Pingator wasn't having that. No, oh, he wasn't playing. You no, know, he wasn't. He wasn't having that. <laughs> and, and, and here's the crazy thing to me: after the game, after we lost, he said, "Maybe I should have started you." <laughs> <laughs> so, how how competitive were those high school games? Because you know, there, there's the women's game has changed so much. Your game was so much ahead of the curve that like 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 I was watching your highlights and I'm just going like man the women's game it was back then more so it was so structured so mm-hmm. mechanical but that yeah. was never your game right yeah. right how do you feel about the competitiveness of the game and how it's changed I love it um I love it you know oftentimes we try to put try to think about you know us and our games and how it fits in today's time. You know, we always do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I 
I really feel like, you know, I was kind of ahead of my time. Um, and I think it, yeah. it it was attributed to, you know, just, you know, playing with guys and, you know, having that, you know, that whole aspect and, and what that brought to my game. Because um, mm. I was a lot, lot more flashier um, than yep. a lot, yep. you know, a lot of, a lot of girls that you see um, or saw back then. I had a college coach that supported that. So she allowed, yeah. you know, she allowed me to to kind of grow and develop that way. Um, and but yeah, I think the times, you know, in today's time, it, I, I really would it would be I would fit right in um, as far mm-hmm. as what my game was back then and how it would fit into today's game. I think, you know, I definitely would. Without a doubt. Yeah. So let us <laughs> let, let us know about that, re, you know, recruiting schedule. I mean, how, how them people was coming at you? Who are what schools was after you? Like how I come down to that school behind you in that case, one of the blue bloods of college basketball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who was recruiting you? So, my list uh, my list only had two two schools. Yeah. <laughs> I, I everybody, like anybody you can think of. Um, you know, I Rutgers. remember you yeah, right, right in their backyard. I know Vivian Stringer was on you. Yeah, so at the time, you know, Coach Stringer was at Iowa. And, you know, she mm. had built – Iowa was a powerhouse there when she was there. So she was recruiting right. me at Iowa. Um, mm. But I had, like, all all the major, you know, Tennessee's, the, the UConn's, the Georgia's, the, any mm-hmm. SEC school, any HCC school, you, you know, UCLA. Did you take all USC. your visits? Did you take how many visits you have? I took five. Um, I took Damn, your greedy butt. <laughs> Damn. She said, I got them all in. Damn. But, you know, Kansas was, um, Kansas was my fourth, I think my fourth visit. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew when I left that campus that that's where I wanted to be. But I felt wow. like I owed it. I owed it to that last coach to at least show up and give it an opportunity. But I knew, mm. you know, I knew I had thirty home visits. Thirty mm. home visits. Wow. Um, my what? senior year. Yeah, and we and me and my dad, my family, broke it down to like ten, and then from there we selected five, you know, to go visit the school. Um, and then yeah, it was it was a crazy time, but. I remember back then I kind of wanted to get it over with early. I, I wanted to go into my mm-hmm. senior year, like kind of yeah. free of that. Um, so yeah. I, I committed early to Kansas so I could do that. Um, but up until the time that I actually signed the papers, it was still mm-hmm. colleges like, you know, showing up at my high school. Like, wow. You know, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Damn. What was your five? My five was, um, it was Kansas, uh, Iowa, Michigan, University of Houston, and Georgia. Wow. And, I, wow. you know, it's it's funny, four out of five, because I wanted to play for a black coat. Um, mm. So that was, that was like a thing for me back then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I had one, you know, one coach that was not black, and that was at the University of Georgia, because I really like Andy Landis. But the rest mm. of the college coaches that I selected were all black women. So you you ain't throw no love New York way, huh? N- none none of those schools up that way, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were recruiting me, and I went on unofficial visits to like Rutgers, Seton Hall, St. John's, 
just you know the local schools that I can actually get to without having. And not not only that, but you're not that far from Philly. They, not they, they not didn't, that far. Yeah, did not they grab you? I mean, they got, they got some. Yeah, Temple. Yeah, Temple. Um, all up and down the East Coast, you Virginia, all all up in Maryland, all up and down the East Coast. But I I I didn't want to stay close to home, so a lot of the in state schools knew that. They knew I was out, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it—it it was crazy, interesting times. <laughs> Talk a little bit about about why um, you didn't want to stay close to home. Like, I hear a lot of athletes say, "You know what? I, I needed to get away." What mm-hmm. What was that for you? It was, for me. It was just growing up. You know, um, mm. you know, when you're close to home, you you, you always got that kind of like that safety net. Um, and I knew I was going to have that going away too, but I think, you know, if I would have stayed in state, like maybe Rutgers or something like that, it's just easy for me to get home, you know, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes from home. Mm -hmm. I could just, you know, I didn't want that. Um, I wanted to kind of get away, kind of figure out if I could fly, you know, what, what I was going to do. Um, and so that was kind of like my reasoning, you know, just wanted to grow and develop and, um, see, see if I would you know, actually fly or, or fall flat on my face and what that looked like, you know, what I what I would have to do to get back up. Either That's way, you was winning, up. though, because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even if you would have failed, you were still winning. I mean, I would have fell forward. Yeah, that's right. That's Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you end up committing to to the Jayhawks, you know. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to go there? What What was the deciding factor? So Marion Washington, who was the college coach there at the time, was definitely the deciding factor for me. Um, at the time, um, she was considered like the be- the dean of uh, Big Eight coaches. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, we were the Big Eight. We eventually um, moved into the Big Twelve, but she was the dean. Um, just just a, a powerful black woman, um, mm-hmm. and she came into my home and like. You know, my whole family fell in love. We all mm. fell in love with her. Mm. So wow. she sold. She sold the family first, and mm. it was like you know. I think my parents were uh, comfortable with her and knowing that if I had chosen Kansas and choosing Kansas, that you know I would have somebody that I can kind of um, rely on and and have like a mentorship type of relationship with her. And to this day, um, I still speak with her at least once or twice a month. Wow. So, yeah. So, dad was sold? I mean, like, right away? Because, you know, dad, right away. dad, like, hey, that's my baby girl. I done taught her the game. I ain't buying the bull crap from you. What was, was, but dad was sold right away. He was sold. And it's funny because uh, Georgia was my first visit, right? Mm-hmm. So Andy Landis was kind of like a salesman. Like he sold the hell out of me on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> when I left Georgia, I was like, I'm going to Georgia. <laughs> My dad was like, ho, ho, no, you're not. <laughs> like, you know, I want you to take all your visits. You're going to see a lot more. And I'm glad like he slowed me down because mm-hmm. he sold, he sold, he sold that program to me. When I tell you he sold it, he sold it. <laughs> Uh, so it was hard for me to kind of like detour off that, but she she did a, a phenomenal job. Her and her staff came in, um, Coach Brown, Coach Mahood, Coach Casa, all my coaches. 
um, made me feel comfortable. And then when they got me on that campus, Mm-hmm. just a team you know you know how you you go somewhere and you feel like you you belong there that's where you mm-hmm. belong right that's what happened when i got to lawrence kansas i felt like that was home so i knew right there you know was it somebody there that you had to beat out a spot was it you you knew i'm gonna be starting when i get there i didn't know um i was i was an all-american coming out um and I knew Kansas was a program. It was always a perennial top 25 school, um, Mm -hmm. even before I got there. So I knew it was a program that was kind of on the rise. And that was another thing. I didn't want to go to a UConn. I didn't want to go to a Tennessee. Like, I wanted to go somewhere where I could go to a program and help them get to that next level. Mm -hmm. That was my thing. Um, Kansas was perfect in that way. They had... uh, Two years before me, they had um, brought in Angela Acock out of Dallas, Texas. She was a mm. high school All-American. Then the following year, you bring in Cherie Sampson from Los Angeles, also an All-American. So they were, like, moving up, bringing in all of this top talent. Mm. Um, I was that next, you know, big-time recruit to come in, and um, we took the program. We took the program up to another level. Um, yeah. So I knew, you know, I, I really knew that, that Kansas – that I, I belong there, and that's where I needed to be. That was the place. That was it. Take us back to that that first day on campus, because because uh, it's nothing <laughs> like it, you know. What was it yeah. like? You know. Yeah, it, it it really is nothing like it. And I remember when I first the first day we got to Kansas, you know, you go through the orientation and stuff. All the the older players, you know, that have been there, like, yeah, we gonna, you know, they were like, we gonna hoop later on, you know, we gonna play a little bit, you know, just some pickup. Like, all right. So, you know, I'm thinking, big time high school play, ain't nothing I ain't seen. I'm going into the gym all confident, you know, cocky. And we playing. And the first time I drive to the hoop, a girl by the name of Lisa Tate, one of my teammates, she threw my shit into the first bleacher. (laughs) (laughs) It was the first time I ever got, you know, like, girls don't block my shot like that. You know, I might get get it thrown by a guy, but that was like my my wake-up call right there. I was like, wow. Like, I'm here now. (laughs) So, yeah, that was was like my welcome. All right, welcome to Kansas, freshman. (laughs) Yeah, so... But it was, it was, um, you know, that euphoria of just being a, you know, new on the campus and all of the the newness and the freshness and you just trying to mm-hmm. fit in and figure everything out. Um, I think first day was kind of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you, you kind of get settled in a little bit and then you're just trying to figure out how to manage your time as a, as a young student athlete, you know. What was your major? Uh, psychology. Mm. But in the beginning, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a major. I didn't know what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. where I wanted to, you know. And even today, you know, I still, you know, I have my degree, but I wish, you know, in hindsight, you you look back and you like, I could have, you know, I should have did A, B, mm-hmm. and C, mm-hmm. you know. But back then, you're just a young kid. You're like, whatever. Right. <laughs> whatever. And you know, you know, Will, people used to change their majors every year. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm a radio and television major. I'm going to be a psychology major next year. They change them all the time. Well, you can do that when you spend in other people's money. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank God for that. I know that's right. You know what? It's it's interesting to me because we were almost could have been fellow Jayhawks. 
I know you was close, you know. Yes. SP Sean Pearson is my boy, so I know yes. y'all y'all were kind of close in high school. Yeah, that's yeah, my that dog. Was my guy. He was trying his best to get me there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. yep. We actually, it's interesting. We went on all our visits together, so <laughs> it was a beautiful campus, and I understand that selling point. Yes. Where you like, oh, I'm going. That's yeah. it. You know. Right. And when I got back. They did the same thing. My brother was like, that was only the first visit. Calm down. <laughs> Does the women get just as much love as the as the as the guys do on campus? So we we started to, to develop that, I think, during my years. Um, because mm. you know, <clears throat> the um the men's program, so storied. Yeah. Um, you know, just the, the amount of talent that's come through that program and the amount of success that it's had. Mm -hmm. um, so we were always trying to get that same type of recognition. I think right. we took a step forward, you know, during my years, we started to kind of um, get a couple sold out games at the field house and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so we, you know, we, we tried to turn the tide a little bit and then our success, obviously we were winning. Um, you know, mm -hmm. everybody likes winners. When you lose and they yeah. don't care about you, but when you win and they right. they'll come and show up. That's uh, right. So That's right. we yeah we we started to turn the table a little bit. Um, not 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 to the men's level, but um, I think we you know we we gained and garnered a little bit of respect um, during my years. Talk a little bit about the transition going from high school to college, just from that perspective, because everything is different. Books are different. Teachers mm -hmm. are different. The atmosphere is different. Talk about that transition and, and how was that for you? So, yeah, I, like you said, everything is different. Um, the, the, the biggest thing for me, and I think I touched on it a little earlier, was the time management piece. Because mm -hmm. um, you kind of got to figure out, like, you know, it's like everything is kind of like scheduled out for you. You know, you wake up, like we had preseason condition at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, we get home, we get showered. Yeah, you get breakfast, and your first class is eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, and you <laughs> yes. you from nine thirty to twelve, you in class. Then one o'clock, yep. you got weights, and then it's just like you know, you got to fit your study schedule in, your your tutoring schedule, and it was it was pandemonium for me. That was what what was the biggest thing for me, um, just trying to figure out the time management piece because in high school it was all you know. You kind of on your own schedule, you know, you just figure it out. But college, it was like a job. It became a real job and you better yes. be there. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? The sooner that you can kind of grasp that, you know, figure that part out, the easier the transition to be for you. But for me, it was tough. You know, that first like month or two, like trying to figure that out. It was crazy. And then you want to, you know, you want to show up and be your best. But it was like crazy. Yeah. We got there at 11 o'clock. We went to some <laughs> some freshman orientation thing. But by 2.30, I was guarding Alvin Robinson of the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it's, it ain't no joke. And just that. And again, you're talking about that time management piece. I think for me, the time management piece was I was just trying to find some time for myself. You still kind of want to have the college experience and do that. So, you know, I'm right. still trying to do that and get to the sorority and fraternity parties and this and that. You know, it became a point where it was like, you know, 
you got to sacrifice some. Like you can't mm-hmm. do it all. Like it's just not enough hours in the day for. And it. you know what? I, I go back and I'm mad at different world because they didn't show that part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shit, they didn't show that I part. That. I mean, I only that. only grew up on two things that could have showed me how college was: school days <laughs> and, and yeah. different world. That's it. That's a fact. That is a fact. <laughs> That is oh, that is God. crazy. But 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 talk about that though. Talk about how even even from this perspective, because as you all started winning, then there's yeah. even more pressure on you and your time. Now you're right. speaking that kids programs and right. you know, you you know, they, they just pulling you left and right. Left you know, and talk right. about talk talk about that, you know, aspect because I think a lot of times as, as future college athletes, they have no idea what comes with winning and success. Right. Yeah. Today's AAU program, I think you kind of got a little bit more of an idea mm-hmm. from the athletic side of what it's going to be at the, you know, on the college level. I mean, with these, these AAU programs now traveling all over the world and, you know, doing all of that, you got a little bit of an idea, but there's, st- it still doesn't, I don't think there's anything that kind of prepares you for what you're going to face when you get to the next level. Um, You know, when you try to put it all together, you know, the academic side and then, you know, you're including the athletic side as well. For me, it wasn't like until my sophomore year where I really felt like I got a grasp of it. But again, it was me having to sacrifice some some things that I may have wanted to do to make everything fit and work, Mm -hmm. you know, the partying and all of that. I really was too tired to do that after a while. It was like, yes. you know, the, the yes. little bit of free time that you got, right. you just want to go and lay down because you yes. know something else, <laughs> you know something else is coming. So for me, it was just that. We used to call it mastering the fifteen-minute nap. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And now you know these locker rooms and stuff. You know, they got the, the students, the lounges and stuff like that. You can hop oh, in yeah. there and take a quick nap. You know, these kids got it made today. Yeah, Got it made. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I was just back at Kansas maybe six, seven months ago. And they were they gave me a tour of all the upgrades and everything. And it was just like, I was like, how could you not succeed with everything they give you? That's right. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's just crazy. So you at you at Kansas doing your thing, senior year, twenty and five, mm-hmm. Big Twelve Conference Player of the Year, second team All AP All American. You should have been first team. <laughs> yes. What was your expectations going into the senior year? Was the you know because everybody don't get to play in March Madness, everybody don't get to play in the conference tournament. Talk about that, the preparation so- and your mindset. Yeah, I mean, every year, um, of course, you know, you want to get to the, my goal was always to get to the final four. You know, mm-hmm. all, that was that was at the top of my list every year. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, getting there is is hella tough, you yeah, know. Yeah. And then I think my senior year, <clears throat> we had a we had a great chance. We had a couple of injuries to our front line that mm-hmm. I thought you know, really hampered us down the road. But I think if we had, like, if we were fully, you know, just obviously healthy, 
right. you know, that that's something you, you got to have a little bit of luck to maintain that health all throughout the year. But if we were healthy, I think we would have made a bigger run towards it. Um, mm. We uh, we got beat. Sweet 16, I think it was by uh, Tennessee. Tennessee knocked mm. us out. Um, but uh, we we. You know, every year my goal is was the same. I wanted to I wanted to get my coach to the final four. And I think the the hardest thing for me was that I didn't didn't wasn't able to achieve that for her because mm-hmm. I wanted it more for her than I even wanted for me. Like I just I just felt like she deserved that. Talk about Coach Washington a little bit more. How, how, what was your relationship like and, and why did you feel the need to get her this championship? What, what did she give you so much, you know, that you felt so honorable wanting to give it to her? Yeah, well, I I, I just knew what she fought for. Um, black woman, one of the top programs. Um, I know what her fight was daily. I'm trying mm. to, to, to make sure that her team got the same stuff as the men's program and mm-hmm. all of those fights those fights that we didn't really know and didn't really see back then um i i wasn't privy to that until probably after i left you know all the sacrifices that she made for us but you know just just having somebody that i could look at that looks like me um mm. in that position of power and how people looked at her um, and gave her that that level of respect was incredible for me to watch and to see, you know, and to be a part of. Um, and she gave it all for us. You know, mm-hmm. you can see that on a daily basis. So it made us want to run through a wall for her. Um, and that's kind of like how it how it started. But after I left college. You know, and after I left school and she started to really talk to me about everything that she had to go through, you just appreciate mm-hmm. right. um, her her plight and you appreciate um, her and what she did for us even more. Um, mm. So, yeah, that, you know, and even today, it's like, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, she's in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and she mm. got a, she was on a ballot but didn't get chosen this last time she was on the ballot for the Naismith Hall of Fame. And I'm mm. like, you know, what do I have to do to get her? Right, I mean, right. she's definitely, like, she's one of those that, you know, you look at, you know, her career and what she's done for the game, and it's like, it's no no way she shouldn't be in the Naismith Hall of Fame. She's a, she's definitely in, the, in a lot of Hall of Fame, but to put her in that, you know, would kind of solidify, you know, her stance to me. Mm-hmm. Now, Tamika, you know, in those, you know how coaches in them leagues have a little coaching fraternities, right? Yeah. And they and they kind of look, they kind of look down, or you know, like because this coach recruit these type of kids or whatever, they they don't. Does she have to go through that? You think? Um, no, I didn't think so. And you know what? It's funny, you know, because you think about it, <clears throat> you look at it, and she was able to pull. You know, she pulled a lot of, you know, the top. You know, black kids, obviously, but she pulled some some top white kids, too. So it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. a color thing for her. Yeah. It was, you know, I'm going to find the best talent. And I think once she got in people's, in front of people's home, in front of people's parents, in yeah. their homes, in front of people's family, she sold it. And, um, you know, people's families felt comfortable having their kids um, mm-hmm. be mentored by her. 
And I think that's, that was the big thing. Well, I think you need to give me Coach Washington's number because I'm going to need her to go into a couple of meetings with me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to need how to go into it. We love, we love your consultant, Coach Washington. Thank you. I mean, what we, we sign up for this deal? Thanks, Coach. Get your 10% woman. Go on, come on. There you know it. <laughs> She'll get it for you. It's interesting. I want to keep it on Coach Washington for a second. Um, being an African-American coach in Kansas. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, a state that still has segregation laws. I mean, Mm -hmm. did you feel any of the race, racial impact while you were on the university or within the city itself? Funny, we were, we were kind of insulated. Like, Mm. I didn't really, we didn't feel that. Like, I didn't really know. Like I said, I didn't really know some of the things that she had to deal with until after I left the program. And, you know, we Mm. got really, really close. And, you know, you sit t- sit and talk to her about some things. It was stuff she didn't share. And I think it was strategic that she didn't share it while I was there with her. But um, Kansas was a comfortable place for us. I think, you know, they made us feel, you know, really, really comfortable. But there was other things. There were there were things in play that I, that she had to fight for. Like I, mm-hmm. like I, you know, mentioned before, some of the things that, you know, you fight for, for from a women's program. You know, the men's program is getting... A, B, C, D, and E, and we're getting A and B. And she's the one in there like, you know, my players deserve A through E, just like the men's program. You know, mm-hmm. she was the one battling and fighting for all of that. So, wow. you know, hats off to her. Talk about some of your toughest matchups that you played against. Now, are we talking about at Kansas or are we talking about... At Kansas, at, at Kansas. So Kansas, so we were obviously one of the top programs and we would uh, our rival at the time was probably Colorado um they had a really really good program then Colorado and Missouri of course Missouri the the battle war uh the border wars that we used to go through Mm -hmm. with them um but Colorado probably because they were also ranked all you know every year in and year out top 10 um and they had some really really good girls come through there um, so we would always, that, that was the matchup. Those were the big, uh, Allen Fieldhouse sellouts, you know, and, and stuff like that. We go to Colorado, they'd be sold out. When y'all went to play Missouri, did the Missouri antlers get at you? Yeah. Missouri was another one, man. They couldn't stand us and we couldn't stand them. So, you know, it was, it was, it was always made Anybody know night. where the rivalry even started from? What, what, what did the hate come in at? I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, you know, but they prime you when you come in. You know, we hate Missouri. Mm-hmm. You better hate them, too. So you're like, all right, I'm rolling. I, I don't it. even know where it came from. That's right. Yeah, I love it. it's crazy I love how it. you just, you walk in and you develop the same hate for that team that everybody, you know, over the years that that's developed. Your last game. In a Kansas Jayhawk uniform. Talk to us about that. So my last game in the Kansas uniform was our Sweet 16 game. We lost against Tennessee in the uh, regional, um, in the Sweet 16 regionals. It was in Virginia at the time. And I okay. think that's, that. you know, that hurts more than anything because you, 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 you know that that's the last time you're going to put that uniform on. Did you cry? Did I cry? 
<laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, the game was in Virginia. So, you know, I, I my family had like a, a busload of people come up from, from they drove up from Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, yeah, they saw, you know, my mom and dad were, were in the back with me. And it was like, I mean, I was bawling like, woo, it was, it was crazy. But my, you know, my coach pulled me aside while I'm crying on a shoulder. And she's like, you know, just think about it like this. She said, you know, for, it was five of us. She was like five, four seniors, excuse me. Mm-hmm. She was like, for, for them three, you know, that their career is probably over. Like they'll never, you know, play in front of people you know, ever again, like it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, you know, they may have an opportunity to play overseas. She's like, right. but you, you know, you got an opportunity to continue to play and um, please, you know, play in front of people and this and that, that kind of subsided a little bit, my tears or whatever, but mm-hmm. it was just like, mm-hmm. it's, it's she tough. She knew the right words to know, say. Yeah. It's tough because you know, you're never going to put on that Jayhawk uniform again. And that, you know, that was mm-hmm. like, you know, four years that I really, you know, that blood, sweat, and tears that you put into that program. So, yeah, it was it was a tough moment for me, for sure. Now, before we jump into your pro career, because, you know, we, we we ready for that, because, <laughs> you know, yeah. at that point, you know, it had just been announced that it was going to have a WNBA, hadn't even started yet. But, and of course, you are one of the originals of that. We want to take a break. AJ and I, we do this thing called Halftime. Okay. And we got a halftime for you. It's some quick hitters. And I'm going to hit you with this question first. Top three toughest stadiums to play in, college or WNBA? Toyota Center in Houston. Um, I would say uh, Colorado, University of Colorado back then. Who else? I guess I would say in the pros, um, Phoenix Arena. Um, mm. They were tough. We were they were rivals with us in LA, and they had some. We had some really good rivalries with us. So I say those three. Okay, give us your favorite game day meals. Or did you have to eat the same thing all the time, or did, or did you switch it up? <laughs> I did. You know, I kind of, I kind of was crazy. OCD. Um, <laughs> Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, was was my meal of choice in the pros. Um, I actually live right down the street from Cheesecake, so you know I call them. They knew what they knew exactly what to make me, you know. <laughs> yeah, so the the pasta with marinara sauce, uh, okay, and a, and a side salad. That was it. Keep it real. I love it. I love Did it. Did you have any game day superstitions or routines? You know, not really. Um, I really just try to 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 relax, uh, sleep. I took a little nap. And then I would get up probably like four or five hours, three, four hours before our game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the type of player that always had to get to the arena like two and a half, three hours ahead of time. Like I was that person. You know, I went mm. yeah. and I, I'd have to get me, I went, get me a nice little workout, like a little shooting workout mm-hmm. before anybody even got to the arena. I go back, take a shower, just relax, and then get mm. ready for the game. So I was that. I was always the early on time, get my treatment, all of that stuff. I didn't want to think about any of that when it was time for the for the ball to be thrown up. 
That's what's up. Now, I, I, I want to ask you this, and I want to ask you this in as carefully as I can. Okay. Because <laughs> the W just put out their top 25. Yes. Who are, <laughs> and I got, I got some issues with it because just for me, sometimes I just think, you we know, if do. you're fresh and new. You, yeah. you shouldn't be top 25. I'm just sorry. Yeah. You ain't you ain't accomplished yeah. enough. So I'm going to leave that one alone. But give me your top favorite WNBA players of all time. And if you want to include yourself, feel free. <laughs> well, you, you, it's funny you say that because I, I, I've, I've been getting a lot of questions about this top 25. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you try to be, I, you know, I mean, I'm neutral. You ain't got to be neutral nor political. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but um there's some players on there definitely that I that that uh that I think they missed. Um I didn't even really look at the whole list. You know, I'm friends with a lot of people on Instagram, on Facebook, so a lot of the people that are on there were, had kind of mentioned that they were. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like how I figured out who who was and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um but I really still today haven't looked at the list, but I could give you you know, five or six players that yes. I know would be on that should be on the list. Mm-hmm. I would think like, uh, and I don't even know if she's on the list. I don't think she made it. But Delisha Milton Jones, who played with me in the spot at the Spars, I think she was one that probably should. Rebecca Brunson uh, from Minnesota, she got five yeah. rings. I don't think nobody got five. Yeah, um, she got five for a reason. Yeah, um, she wasn't just you know. I don't know if Andrea Stinson made it, but I think Andrea, Mm-mm. she should, Charlotte. she should have definitely been. Yeah, she was tough. Oh, she was tough. She was ahead of her time too, I think. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. Let me let me switch it there. Is Tamika Dixon top twenty five? I would think yes. Um, but if you look at it statistically, you know there there may be some issues because when I when I played on the Sparks team. We always had like three players that made the All Star team. It was so much talent in one ball. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So technically, I probably could have averaged 18, 20 points a game. I, I would have, I could have if I needed to. Um, yeah. But with so much talent, you know, it's only one ball. So if you're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, you know, and you're thinking about it like that, you know, mm-hmm. statistics, maybe not, but importance to a team and what we what we what we we talking about just toss the ball up in the air now if you're talking about straight hooping yeah straight hooping let's let's take it out the in the WNBA arena and put it in the park yes i'll be i'm in that top 25 i know that's right without a doubt Without a doubt. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's what I was trying to get you to say. I'm like, get, take take your flowers. Take yes. your flowers. Yes, I yes. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate <laughs> you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now give me your favorite sneaks to play in. So I was a Nike athlete. Um, you know, it's funny because I was actually the first one. Um, so Jordan handpicked two of us, me and Charlotte Smith, to wear his first Jordan shoe. We weren't considered Jordan mm. brand because he didn't have any, you know, at the time it wasn't a brand. He was the only one wearing it. Um, but he had a shoe back then. Um, and he asked, you know, a few of us to, few of us to wear it. He picked me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I was a Nike athlete. So the, the first Jordan shoe is what I, 
Um, I love to I love to wear back then. But I'm I'm a, you know I'm an old school girl, so I love the Air Forces. I love the forces. I had them in every color, every every design, every. I collected them for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just actually gave about the two hundred pair of them joints away. I, they wow. probably was worth some money. Yes, but, that's you right. Know, you know, <laughs> and we know yours is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I was a Nike athlete, so all all that Nike stuff, all those, all those. Okay, look, this is this is a two part question to make up. Top three favorite rappers or artists from the nineties. Then then give me your current top three artists right now. You know I gotta go with Biggie. Okay. <laughs> um in the nineties, Red Man. I love me yeah. some Red Man back then in the nineties. Yeah. It's Jersey, Jersey love, baby. You already know. You I'm from that Jersey. What is it? Brick New City? Yeah. And I had to say Wu Tang. Those were my three back oh, then. Yes. The Tang, baby. The Wu. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, yeah. Huh. I don't really listen to that much hip hop anymore. I like um I like J. Cole. I've been listening to his stuff. Um, you know, I love Nip. I love Nip before this passing. Um, but I like Nip. And um, oh, oh now, I mean, really. I don't really listen to a lot of hip hop. I like Ross, Rick Ross. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. I can listen to pretty much anything, but that new stuff, I don't know. Uh, if it sounds new, but it ain't you still me. that that '90s. You you still got a little R and B in you. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. That's what I am. That's what I am. <laughs> that's what you are. <laughs> I done graduated the R and B. So who you listening to? So now, I mean, and it's it's funny because I still don't listen to a lot of new stuff. Um, but I listen to uh, I'm a Layla Hathaway fan. I love Layla. Mm-hmm. Um, the new stuff I like her's album. Her, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. think she got a really good album. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a I'm really like a really mellow, laid back soul. Type who's your of, old school? Who's your old school R and B artist? Old school R and B Anita Baker. Oh yes, I'm a Anita fan. Yes, <laughs> uh, but you know, in the early '90s, you know, you had that whole Jodeci era. I was, you know, I did all of that too. <laughs> Give me uh, your three favorite movies. I gotta say, Hoop Dreams, favorite of all time. Uh, The Wood. I used to love The Wood. I used to watch the that. Wood. And uh, damn, I had to say Friday, I guess. Mm-hmm, Friday was mm-hmm. one of my cult classes. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, a, I, now I'm a movie and a TV head, a freak almost could say, because I'll be doing quotes okay. and stuff from movies and shit. So yeah. your, top, your top three TV shows. TV shows, top yeah. three. I, you yeah. know, you, you got to say the Cosby's. Okay. I mean, that was, Absolutely. you know, that's our era. Um, I would say billions. I love billions on um Okay, Showtime. Showtime. Uh-huh. And one of my favorite shows was The Sopranos. I love The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> Interesting list here, Tamika. Yeah. So uh, yeah. all I heard was she like a lot of stuff where people die. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Well, thank you for doing halftime with us. Yes. We want to jump into the the new era. The WNBA is 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 coming, and we want to educate our listeners too, uh, particularly on the basketball history, because your timing was was it was actually crazy. Because in 1996, the WNBA gets announced. You're going into your senior year of college. 1997 is going to be the first draft, the first season of the WNBA. What was going through your head? Did you think you had a chance to be a part of that first season? So I'll give you guys a little bit of history. Um, So my assistant coach um, at Kansas actually left the program after my junior season to she got hired as the director of player personnel for the WNBA. So I kind of knew that it was coming. Um, I had a kind of like a heads up. But if a lot of people don't realize and recognize there was a professional women's um, league going on at the time. It was called the ABL, which is the American Basketball. Yeah. We had a Chicago team. Yes. Yes. Yep. So so at the time, the ABL was paying, you know, the six-figure salaries and and stuff like that. And we knew, you know, coming in at the WNBA, you might not have gotten that six-figure salary right out, but you kind of had to weigh, you know, the yeah. options. NBA with the back end, or WNBA with the back end of the NBA, and David Stern was really, really, he he wanted it to su- succeed. He was behind it. He was going to do everything he could to push it. Or the AVL, which was paying that money right out the gate. So, And you ain't have to go across that water. Yeah, it was a really unique time for for us, you know, for me coming out. I'm a senior in college, and I have options that I've never ever had before, and it it, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I did know it was coming, um, and I, you know, I was able to after our after my senior season, it was like time sped up. It was like mm. okay, next next week I'm back on campus, and it was like coach had me in in the office kind of like figuring out agents and shoe deals and like a year ago a year prior to this this none of this stuff was even I wasn't even thinking about like it was just it was crazy um so yeah you know I'm interviewing agents I'm trying to figure out what's next um trying to trying to shoe deals we were at nike school um i had the nike reps i had reebok rep i had uh adidas reps in there trying to sell me i'm like this is this is this is amazing um so i had deals from both leagues um and i chose the WNBA because i felt like um although i would have gotten paid more out the gate with the abl i just thought with the backing of the nba and how how supportive david stern was of it and he just was hell-bent on seeing it succeed i just felt like that was the right place for me mm. uh, but to have an opportunity to to have both those leagues kind of um you know court you and and want you and like i said you know prior to that you know that these opportunities didn't exist you was either go overseas or you know get a real job <laughs> you know <laughs> i think that's the best uh feeling to make a, a for as a basketball player of of these people wanting you you yes. know these shoe companies 
coming after you, wanting you, like to be mm-hmm. to be wanted, to 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 feel that. I mean, I, I I can know the excitement was probably blowing your ears off. Man, it was crazy. It it really was. I was excited about it. Um, I felt like you know, on the base level of it, it's just having an opportunity to continue to compete, which is what yes. we all love to do. You know, in America, I have an opportunity in America. I have an opportunity to continue to do that. And y'all want to pay me? (laughs) And y'all want to pay me to do this? I'm like, yeah, this is, this is where it's at for for real. So to have that opportunity was incredible. So how how did that thing work? I mean, it's, so you already knew where you were going to get picked. I mean, did, did you have to work out for teams prior to the draft? I mean, so since it's the first draft, um, you have, players who've been playing overseas for 10, 11 years, seven, eight years. And right. now they, they, they hear it. They hear about a WNBA. So they like, I want to go home and play. So now you got that pool of players. So you got that pool of players coming back, wanting to play. In addition to that, you got the college seniors coming out. Mm-hmm. So they have a pre-draft camp. So that pre-draft camp is was invite only. I think it was like 300 players, maybe. Wow. Um, I, I can't remember the exact amount, but it was a lot of people um, of those, you know, of those um, overseas talent coming back, wanting to play. And then mm-hmm. the it was invite only. So it was like the, co- the top college seniors um, were invited. And it was down in Orlando at the Orlando Magic Facilities. And there was when, you know, you just kind of go through the whole draft um, mm-hmm. workout process and you, you you playing a lot in front of the general managers and the coaches of the, you know, same, same thing as you see, you know, today, you know, where mm-hmm. they have, you know, the pre-draft camps and, you know, the, the tournaments and all of that stuff going on, same thing. Um, and that was kind of where you got your first uh, conversation. You had your first conversations with the coaches. They were able mm-hmm. to see you, talk to you, feel you you know, fill you out and stuff and see if you were going to be a good fit. Now, before that, um, they had a, uh, it was called, I, I forgot what it was called, but it was a draft where they placed two players um, at, in, in, um, on each franchise. So you had eight teams, you okay. had two, no, it was more than two players. So it's four players, I think, four top players. So they had those pool of players and that, that pool of players was like a Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, um, Cynthia Cooper, all those. So they they had they, these anchor players, basically, where mm. they had a draft where they put these four players um, on each team. And then you had to kind of build out the rest of your roster from that pre-draft camp. Mm, okay. So that's kind of how it was. So in L.A., um, if you remember in 96, you had that Olympic team, that huge Olympic mm-hmm. team yep. that got yep. all the notoriety. Yep. Well, that was that was strategic. You know, that was like we're we're coming out with the WNBA. You know, we're gonna take this um, this nineteen ninety six Olympic team, and we're gonna market the hell out of them. So and you had did. at least, yeah, you had mm. you, you. They were everywhere, right? Yes, everywhere. Yeah, they, they, they was on Martin Show. Yeah, yep. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yep. I remember they actually even came and practiced in Chicago because I went to the practice. That mm-hmm. squad had Lisa Leslie. Dawn was on there. 
Don, right? Because she was sure. doing, cause remember, they had them, them sure. commercials because Don is a point guard. You know, Nike was yep. promoting the heck out of that thing, too. Yeah. So it was huge back then. Yeah, so you had that. And then from that team, you had the anchors. And you had the anchor players. You took off that team, the anchor players. Now, at the time, you still had some of those players contracted in the ABL, like Dawn. She was an ABL mm-hmm. player. Um, mm. but, but some of those, most of those players came into the WNBA and then you anchored them with other top talent. Like in LA, we had, it was Lisa Leslie. It was Penny Toller out of Long Beach. Penny Toller, that's right. It was, uh, High Shaw Zhang, which was Chinese national, 6'11 Chinese oh, national team player of the year. Yeah. Um, Deidre Charles out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Those were our four anchor players. Um, and then, you know, you, you bought the, you got the pre-draft camp, try to figure out how you're going to build out your roster. So, um, that's kind of how it happened. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just think about me, you know, I'm a college senior now I'm competing with not only the college seniors, I'm competing with all these, all this professional talent that they've been playing for years. So they want to come back and play too. Um, so you have the draft. And I was selected 14th overall. Um, but if you had like a traditional draft where mm-hmm. it was just, you know, just college seniors, I would have been third overall. I was a third college player pick, but I was 14th overall because a lot of the teams wanted to kind of build out their programs or their teams with experience. You experience know, they didn't know what players. they were going to get with us. You know mm. what I mean? So they built it out that way. Um, but if it was a traditional draft, I would have definitely been top five pick. So how how was that draft? Did they did they gather y'all in a place or what were you? So yeah, it was um so the draft was held at NBA Studios. NBA Studios is in Secaucus, which is 25, 30 minutes from my house from my from my house in New Jersey. Wow. Um and at the time they had this it there. So they I was actually invited to the draft. Um, I was one of the the college players that they invited in. Um, and it was maybe 20 of us that came, I think. Okay. Um, and it was kind of, if you think about the NBA draft, it was the same, you know, the same thing. At the time, uh, you know, back then it was more like a green room. You know, you were back in the green room. Right. And you kind of, you, you just waiting for your number. To, it was nerve wracking, but... You got to give us the Tamika WNBA Draft New Jersey swag. We want to know how you walked up in there, baby. So, oh a pants suit? Was, I, was you looking like business? Was you looking like Kamala Harris? Like, let me walk up in here and show y'all. <laughs> so I had a nice little tan suit on with some brown shoes. Uh, yeah. You, hair was laid. You know, uh, makeup was done. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> yeah, but it was um, it was an amazing experience to just be able to to have be a part of that and have my family be a part of that because my family oh, was able wow. to come. Yeah, and then That's... after the draft, it was like you kind of hit the road running. <laughs> you, mm. you, it's it's wow. nonstop after that. <laughs> Was there like a, a promotional tour? Is that what is that took place or y'all just went right into playing? So no, it was like um I got drafted that day. I had and two days later I was in LA. And <clears throat> you know, it's like Hollywood. You know, New Jersey, Kansas, 
Now I'm in LA and it's like la la land. I'm like, what? Yeah. I, oh, I'm like wow. palm trees. I'm like, I'm I got a little money in my pocket now. So you know, it it you know, you live in that life. You twenty, I'm twenty one years old in LA. What? Um it, it couldn't get no better than that. You know, all I heard her say was I'm legal living in LA. Yeah. That's all I heard. That's all yeah. I heard. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so take us back there. So you you in LA. When did it come to your mind that you say, like, wow, this is really happening? Because you know, up to this point, they'd always talked about having a women's professional team, but it right. had never come to pass. When right. what, when did you say, like, man, I can't believe this is happening? And here in the United States. Yeah, I think I think that reality kind of hit me when I was in coach's office and, mm. you know, I had, you know, I was interviewing, we were interviewing the agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day, um, it was the shoe company. And then when they started courting me, because it was like, you know, they flew me out to Portland. Mm. Uh, Nike did. <clears throat> flew me out to mm. Portland with my family sat me down, you know, wanted me to be a part of the Nike family and then the shopping. And then they brought you into this, it was the Nike employee store and they're like, get what you want. And I was like, (laughs) I I said, and you know, my parents, you know, my my mom and dad were with me. So they were like, get what you want. Like, is this real? Like, you know, they were like, it's real. You know, so I think all of those components kind of made me feel like okay like this this is serious like this is real you know this is real um but yeah it was it was an amazing experience to like be able to be a part of that um and then have my family be a part of it with me and experience it with yeah yeah take us take us in the locker room when you first that first time you see that name on that jersey oh man oh crazy the hoop dream was real, but it, it even more so than that, it was like, you know, in 97, we were still playing in the forum. And I told you, you know, my father, right. huge Laker fan. Right. So, so first game of the year, um, first game of the season, we were like the inaugural game too. Mm-hmm. played in New York, um, nationally televised game on NBC. Mm. Um, playing against New York um, in the forum. So it's like, that that was like, that that was a full circle moment for me because I was able to, when I looked up and saw magic, I was like, I'm I'm here. Like, you know, I'm here. Yeah, it's like magic. I mean, the first game of the year was kind of like, first game of the season, it was like, who's who? in LA was all there because mm-hmm. everybody was like, you know, what is this? Yeah, they want to come and support and see. It was shocking to me because I'm was like, Pops they all there? here to watch. Pops was there. First game. So he got a chance to meet Magic, got a chance to meet, you know, it was like full circle. Definitely wow. a full circle moment for me. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. But you look up and you see in like Hyra Banks and Denzel and it's like, so they all come in the, you know, you right. don't watch these people on TV for ever. And it's like, you know, you, I couldn't put wrap my head around that, that they actually came to see me, you know? The Tamika Dixon that I'm familiar with is the Tamika Dixon with the pimp walk. 
Give us the story on the walk. You know, if you saw my father walk, I what? have his walk. That's wow. you know that that's his walk. I walk just like if I'm walking behind my dad, it's like it's in sync with each other. It's amazing. It's a true. It's a yeah. but it's a true baller's yeah. walk. It's a I true, mean. <laughs> I was just, that's what, listen, I was going to say that, you know, it's funny, you, when you, when you come across a hooper, they don't know who I am by face, they look at my face, they say, I don't know, like, I don't know you, but I know you who, just by the way you walk. Yeah, you walk. <laughs> yeah I get that a lot. <laughs> Talk to us about that, 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 that WNBA first season, though. Give us, give us the, just the. I mean, the inaugural season, y- y'all are in it. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that. So, yeah, the first season was um, for us, for L.A. specifically. It wasn't, you know, we had some growing pains. New new seat, new, uh, new, yeah. new league, new team. Um, we had been through, I think in my first year, we mm-hmm. went through three three coaches. Like, it was. I think that first year was just growing yeah. pains, trying to figure out like where, where, what we were supposed to do, how we were supposed to do it. Um, and that, that really didn't, the transition really didn't smoothen out until we got Michael Cooper in there. When he became mm. our head coach, yeah. that's when we got that stability from that position and we were able to grow from there. Um, but first year was like a lot of growing pains. Um, you know, we, for me, you know, as well as for the team. Um, I think my rookie year, I averaged like 15 to 16 points a game. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was heavily um, relied on, uh, but we, we weren't good. You know, we weren't, we didn't get to that point until yeah. maybe three, two, three, yeah. three years, three, four years in when we started to really click, got the right players in there. Y'all more than clicked. Yeah. Yeah, we, <laughs> right. Yeah. She, she said all subtle. Well, we just clicked. It's called. It's called back to back. Yeah, yeah. I think she said it. She hit it when when um when Coop got in there. I think he gave them like a a how they would do it in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like he gave them a little structure mm-hmm. to where they can know what type of team they're gonna have going forward. Like what 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 was gonna be y'all identity? Well, he bought yeah, the pedigree you know, in, too, of championship. Right. Because you know what it was? Um, you know, you got – now you're dealing with professional female players. And what they were trying to do in the beginning is bring in right. – you know, and it was new for everybody. So you're bringing in college coaches, and they're trying to develop the, the program as a college team. Right. But we're professional athletes now. So mm-hmm. when they when they got co- when they got Mike Michael Cooper in, I think yeah. he came from a whole different perspective. You know, yeah. he wasn't a, a former college yeah. coach; he was a professional athlete. So he kind of knew how that you know it just clicked better. Um, you know, when he came in, and um, obviously he yeah. brought in all mm-hmm. Pat Riley stuff. You know what he can what what developed them. Yeah. Yes. You know, so we we got that all was, of that. That was right up your alley, Miss Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was um it was that was when it clicked. That's when it started to turn around for us and we started to gain that success. They clicking, you got success. Give yep. us give us the give us the story on those two back to back championships because 
L.A. is just synonymous with championships. I mean, if you don't win a right. championship in L.A., you might not be welcome back. Give us, give us the backdrop. <laughs> you right about that. So first first four years in the league, Houston Comets, back to back to back to back. Right. All four, tear off the first four championships. Um, that fourth championship, though, they came through us in, yep. in, in the Western Conference Finals, and they beat us um, in game mm. three in LA to go on to win a championship. That that was what solidified us because I remember sitting in the, in there laying on the forum floor like balling. Like but that was the that was the turnaround for us. We all went where we were going. I went overseas, all the girls, most of the girls, but we made a pact that when we would go overseas Everybody got to come back with something different. Bring wow. bring something different back that's going to get us over this hump. And when we came back that next season, from day one, everybody was ready to just compete. And when we won our first championship, it wasn't even close because we, we had prepared so – I mean, everybody – we had that that you know how you lose that game that mm-hmm. and that and you you gotta wear that you gotta have that taste in your mouth for for because yep. you can't get it back for a whole year. That taste was in my mouth. I was I never forget. I was over in Italy. I had signed a international contract to play overseas in Italy that off season, um, and I did it solely to prepare for the WNBA season. I'm like I'm gonna be in the best shape. I'm gonna work on my game, and that's all I did. I mean, complete focus. When we came back, we came back together day one. Um, preseason training camp was right. intense. It was hell. But when once we got into the, the regular season, nobody could touch us. Was there any extra pressure being an L.A. Spark? Because, you know, even though those four years Houston was winning the WNBA championship, and, and, and I thought they did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Are promoting them, but there's still something. It's kind of like even in the men's league now. It's like the the NBA still isn't the NBA unless there's the Lakers successful, yeah, you know, or the Knicks are successful. Being a spark in those early years, did you feel any pressure? Like, man, we we just we gotta win. Yeah, I did, and you know it, and it didn't just come from me or from from our franchise. I think. The idea was to have the the bigger market teams win. Like they wanted the LA's to win, the New Yorks to win. Mm. It's just Houston came in and took it. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely pressure because we were, you know, you look at all the preseason um, picks and and what the coaches were saying, general managers. Everybody was picking us to win, right. and we came out and stunk it up. So from that standpoint, you know, it was it was a lot of pressure, you know. Did you feel the fans support through those first, you know, inaugural years, four or five years? The the LA support, did you feel it? Yeah, we definitely now, you know, LA, um, we had we had a nice support system, but LA is a town that when you win in, they ride with you. When you lose in, you know, they they looking at the Lakers and saying, no, we got this on the men's side. So after nine seasons with the Sparks, you go to Houston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what led to that move? Uh, I think I was at a at a point in my career where I kind of wanted to test the free agent market a little bit. Um, I was in L.A., had been there nine years. 
And, you know, it was time for something new. Um, I was trying to figure out, you know, I still had some free agent value um, at that time. And, you know, just wanted to kind of test it. And I thought at the time Houston was a, was a good place to try to do that. You know, they still had some, some really good foundational pieces. And I thought we, you know, would really have a good shot at winning the championship. So I took the plunge and um, signed a free agent deal with Houston. Did your agent or your dad play a role in that decision? Did you kind of ask them? I did. And, you know, I always kind of leaned on my father for advice. Um, but he always, you know, wanted me to make the decision I felt was best for me. Um, and so at the end of the day, it was my decision to make. Um, in hindsight, I thought I made the right decision. I had some pieces there um, that was in Houston that was kind of holdovers from L.A. My assistant coach from L.A. was in Houston as a head coach. Um, and I felt like, you know, it was it was mm -hmm. a good move for me. And it was. You know, I, I went to Houston. I had some really good years, three good years in Houston. Um, so I, I definitely don't regret the decision at all. So now you 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 done rocked the WNBA. What led to the decision to go overseas after your WNBA career? You kind of said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to finish this thing out overseas." So I I had been um, playing overseas, kind of on and off um, throughout my career. Um, I played in three countries. I played in Turkey a year. I played in Italy for six years, and then I played in Russia a year. So in between WNBA seasons, it was just an opportunity for me to go over, make make some money, and stay in, mm -hmm. stay in tip-top shape. I always looked at it as an opportunity to just continue to grow my game over, you know, over in another country. Um, so I did that, you know, pretty regularly because I was a national team player, too, so... I was um, mm -hmm. in that national team pool, you know, to, to, to become an Olympian. So I was also doing that. Um, so it was like mm. a year round kind of job, you know, mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't playing overseas internationally, then I was training for the national team. And I think that's what's so crazy about women's basketball compared to men's basketball. I mean, you all truly personify there is no off season, literally. Yes. I mean, you're playing fall ball, winter ball over there. Then you go into your summer, and your season is summer. Yep. Where, where do you find the time to take care of yourself? You know, it was it it wasn't a lot of that. You know, I would I would be in the WNBA from um, from May through September. Um, I'd be have maybe two three weeks, and then I'm overseas. I'm playing from October to May or to uh, April. And I got two, two, three weeks. Sometimes it depends on how your season is going over there. Because if you go deep into the playoffs, mm. you're coming right into training camp in yeah. the WNBA. Yeah. So it was, it was, there was years in between that I just really had to take time off. But, you know, you think about an NBA 82-game season, we did, I did that. You know, I did that, yeah. but it was two different leagues, but I was doing that. <laughs> I was doing that. <laughs> How did you balance that, though? You know, what if you wanted to have children or, yeah. you know, all those things? I mean, what's the sacrifice in that? There's a huge sacrifice, a huge sacrifice. 
you know, even, you know, with your family, you know, your mate, you know, you, you overseas and, you know, they're here working or whatever. And you got to try to figure, figure out how they can get over there for two, three yeah. weeks. And if you got children, you know, a lot of players that have children and trying to navigate through that process and get them involved in school there. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it definitely is, it's a juggling match, mm. you know, to try to figure that, that stuff out. But you, you, for me, it was like, I have a window, mm-hmm. you know, this is my window, you know, I don't know, you know, I've, I was so fortunate to be able to play professionally 13 years. Um, but the average lifespan of a, of a professional ball player is what? Yeah. Four, three, four Four. years. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice for this couple of years. Cause when it's over, it's over. It's nothing else. Yeah. You know, that is the truth. Yeah. But when you look Mm -hmm. back, it's like, you sacrifice them. You know, I sacrificed a whole lot. <laughs> right. You know, missing family events and, you know, all of that stuff. We we want to jump into this because we know we, we've had you on here for quite a while now. But uh, if you give us just a little bit more time, because sure. we want to talk about the, the culture of the WNBA and the business of basketball. So first, I just want to ask you, what, what has Tamika Dixon been up to since – you know, you retire from the game and can I get a job and come work for you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> listen, so, you know, we all probably had that same kind of, you know, you basketball is over and you trying to figure out what you mm-hmm. can do like next because your whole life, you've dedicated yep. your whole life to playing this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so you starting, you know, you start behind the eight ball, obviously, because, you know, while your friends and people of your same age group went on into the corporate mm-hmm. world and got these jobs, you know, you coming out at, I'm, I, you know, retire at 30, 32 years old. Right. And I'm like, starting fresh. Don't have any experience, mm-hmm. job experience or anything like that. So, but, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, that's mm. what I always wanted to do. Um, so when I kind of felt like, you know, the game was, I was getting to the end of the road, mm. I started interning, um, with the WNBA. They had these like programs where you can intern, um, with some companies to kind of see, you know, what mm-hmm. you had an interest interest in and what you, what do you think you wanted to do after basketball? So I took that opportunity, um, and didn't go overseas, um, of a few years to take an internship. I interned with the New Jersey Nets at the time when they were the New Jersey Nets, now they're the Brooklyn Nets. I interned at NBA Studios. I did some stuff like that just to kind of figure out like what I wanted to do. But I knew I I didn't want to work for somebody. So my last year, um, I thought maybe I wanted to go into the financial service industry because when I was overseas, I actually got my master's. So in my off season, I mm. got my master's in business. So I thought I might have wanted to do that, go into the financial service industry. And I got hired right out, you know, by Edward Jones mm-hmm. with the financial services industry. I thought I might want to be a financial advisor. Um, I did that for like a year and a half, but it was so slow, mm. like too slow for me. I built a, I built a good book of business and just kind of like, 
played on my, you know, mm-hmm. contacts and people I knew to try to build it and did that. But the industry just moved a little too slow for me. So I was like, I don't think I want to do this. So I went from financial services and I mm-hmm. moved straight into insurance. So I did that. Um, I had started uh, with a company. I had 14 people working under me, like managing 14 people. And I decided I didn't want to do that. So I did that for about a year. You know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I, I took on a franchise ownership position. Um, I bought a Avis and mm. Budget car rental franchise and bought it from a struggling owner. So the owner uh, wanted to get out the business. They mm-hmm. owned 13 of them. And he was looking to sell them off and move down and retire. And the business was struggling. And, you know, I went in, I took a look at the business, said, you know, this might be something I want to do. It at least get me um, doing my own thing. So I was like, you know, it's my own business. I can build it. I can grow it. So I took it over. First uh, four years, I became profitable in it, had it for 10 years. And then I just sold it in January. Um, cause the pan, when the pan, COVID hit pandemic hit, I started hemorrhaging money. I said, Oh Lord, I, I this ain't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nobody needed a car. Um, so, but I thought, you know, it might've been the, the best time to get out of it. So I sold it in January, made a nice little penny. And now I'm just kind of like, just trying to Oof. figure out what I want to do next. So yeah, that's, that's about it. That's good stuff there. The staying in the in the coaching basketball in that type of world with high school or that that never crossed your mind. I, every year I get um, asked to coach. You know what I I enjoy coaching the, the little kids. You know, elementary, first year junior high. I love teaching them because they're still coachable. They still they still just want to learn yeah. and understand the game and mm-hmm. and all of that. But um. Every year I get older, I start to think about like all this yeah. knowledge that I have of the game right. and I help as much as I could, but I always think about like, you know, what, what it would be if I had my own program. Could I build my own program and grow it and grow the kids? Um, I think about it all the time. Yeah. So it might be something down the road that I, that I, you know, take on. What do you think about the today's women game and why do you think it hasn't caught on like the men's game? I think it's going in the right direction. Um, I think it's really starting to grow now. Um, you think, you think about um, the last like maybe year and, and all of this like year of the woman power, powerful women and all of this stuff. I think all of that um, has kind of helped grow the WNBA game and have people look at it um from a different perspective but i think also what it what it has done is showed corporations um how marketable women are you know cuz now you're starting to get now you know sue bird and now um uh, angel, uh, angel and and all these um deladon and all these girls are starting yeah. to get these commercials and these, the, you're starting to see them on TV a lot more. NECA, the Gourmet Swiss, the sisters, you know, you're starting to see corporations starting to say that these girls are just as marketable as the men. 
um, and putting the putting the corporate dollar behind that now. And I think the WNBA is seeing that and and kind of turning how they're marketing their players and um, how they're going out to get these corporate dollars. And I think it's, it's I think it's going in the right direction. I like where it's going. Do you think that from the standpoint because it it is played during the summer mm-hmm. that hurts the game a little bit? I don't think I mean it could be from a perspective from the perspective of you know if you think about the summer summer months it's the summer you know it's the time where families are really out and about trying to vacation mm-hmm. they're doing all of these things and do they really want to commit to being a season ticket holder if they're not going to be in Chicago you know they're taking their kids out you know mm-hmm. to 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 other places to vacation during the summer months so from them, from that perspective, uh, it might be a little bit of an issue. But then you have to think about: Do you want, you know, do you want our product to compete with the NBA in the fall, you know, in winter, in the fall and winter months? So I think it's where it is is strategically placed, and I think it's a good thing. I just think you have to figure out um, how to market it a little better. Goodness, goodness. I mean, and the media. I mean, you think about it, the media has done a better job of, you know, talking about the game, exposing it in different ways. Uh, You know, when when Renee Montgomery, you know, she's a a ex-player, but she's a a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. You know, talk Mm -hmm. about entrepreneurship. You know, talk talk to us about that and about how the women of the WNBA are taking, are having dual jobs. Yeah, I I mean, I think like like you said, the Renee Montgomery thing. Now, when you have somebody of her stature, a former player who knows what players are about, knows us, has been one of us, steps up into that position. Now you got us in the boardroom trying to fit, you know, so so it gives Mm. us a little bit more stain. But not only her, I mean, you know, you start you're starting to see a lot of former players in the league office now, you know, um, working on the WNBA, not mm. only the WNBA side, but the NBA side. So when you have these players moving into higher positions like that, you don't, you you know that they're going to do what's right by the player at that point. I wonder what the uh, what the corporate sponsorship was during the first 10 years of the league than, than now. Yeah, and 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 you know how how they're doing business now is a little different too. I think in the beginning you had mm-hmm. corporations who stepped in and supported the WNBA, so they were all like um, national sponsors. Um, now what they're doing is not only do you have the national sponsors supporting the league, but now you're allowing other teams, um, the individual teams like the LA Sparks, mm-hmm. to go out and get their own sponsorship deals for that specific team. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the beginning, Team. they mm. weren't allowing that. They just had the corporate sponsors and that's what it was. You know, they weren't allowing, you know, because it was kind of yeah. like seen as a, um, uh, uh, an advantage, a, a competitive disadvantage for if, if one play, if one team could get it, then and the other team couldn't get it, then it was looked at as an advantage for that team. You know what I'm saying? But now it's like get in mm. when you get in or, you know, you better get you a better team to go out and get these sponsorship right. deals and y'all going to get left behind. It creates a competitive advantage 
for everybody if everybody's mm-hmm. going you know starting to hire these people yep. to go out and get this sponsorship money and i think that's only going to be better for the league um what what do you think it's going to take to grow the game to evolve what do you, what do you think the wnba needs to do um i think it's go like i said i think it's going they they just signed a new collective bargaining agreement um where now they're starting to these players can command a little more you know the lower level players are making six figures now you know when i was coming up the higher level players were the only ones making that you know everybody else was underneath that so mm-hmm. uh, but now you got the lower level players making that um they've they've changed and done a lot of things a little better in this last collective bargaining agreement not only that is now they're starting to let royalties they're allowing players former players and present players uh, to collect royalties um things like that on on merchandise and stuff like that so these these pieces were things that already been on the nba side for years and years but the women were fighting to get these things healthcare. You know, when you retire, you know, there's no health care after retirement. But, but put on your commissioner hat, though. Put on your commissioner hat. What would Tamika Dixon do? What would you do? What would I do? What would I do? First thing I would do is I would, my owners, um, people I have owning these teams, have to have a, a sole commitment to the team. And by that, what I mean mm. is, um, when I, when we were coming up, and it wasn't it wasn't us really because the buses were very present. Um, Doctor Bus was wanted to see us succeed. He put the money where his mouth was. He put it the efforts behind us. But you have mm. um, you've had uh, some organizations that um, which is why the WNBA you know some of the WNBA teams and franchises folded. Like take for example Charlotte. Mm. Right. You got the Charlotte thing. You got the Charlotte Hornets at the time. They're both owned by the Charlotte Hornets. But when Charlotte Hornets started struggling um, and they had to start cutting costs and start cutting things. And what what do you think the first thing is they're going to cut? They're going to cut the sting, you know, because they're going to put all their efforts and stuff on that. So what I you know, what I would like to see first off is the sole purpose of you owning a team, you have to see value in that team and you you as an owner. You know, it can't be just a tax write-off for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, if I was coming in and I was an owner of a team, everything that I do would be to make my team succeed. Because you got to see that women, you have to know yes. that there's marketability in women. Like, you got to take that yeah. and you got to grow that. Yeah. And you got to see that in the future, this could be a billion dollar business. Even though, you know, I wanted something a little bit more deep. I yeah. want you to say, this is what I would have do right now. We're going to turn them dollars and here's our league minimum. Yeah. These are our top salaries. But to tell you that, I really think it's going in the right direction because, you know, when you talk about the, the salary increases and things like that, I think it's right on par to where it should be right now. It took a little while to get it there, but I think now, you know, you got, you have, um, you know, the top players earning a half a million, you know, unheard of, unheard of when we were coming up, you know? Yeah. 
And then you you add endorsement deals to that. You know, you got million dollar players now. Easy. Yeah. Wow. Is 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 there a WNBA Players Association like yes. the, like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and how how does that operate? Like who 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 is the head of it, and how does that go? I've been kind of uh, removed from it. Uh, when I was a player, okay. I was a part of the Players Association um, on mm. the the player side. I was always a representative of our team. Um, mm-hmm. I've always stayed apart, but I've been removed so far removed from it. I don't know who's headed mm-hmm. the organization now. Um, okay. If if I heard her name, I would say, okay, yeah, that's the, but they do have a representative that heads the WNBPA is what it's called. Um, okay. And it used to be the, uh, the same law firm that handled the, uh, the NBPA, but no longer. Now it's separate. Mm. We got our own law firm that okay. does the WNBA stuff. And, um, They've done a good job. I have to say that. I just want to get your thoughts on college players getting paid now. What are, what are your thoughts about that? I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hating so much. I'm hating. <laughs> I, I tell you, you know, it's a long time coming. I'm happy for them. I think it's well overdue. We all know that. Um, but I'm hating that it ain't during my era, boy. Yes, I'm yes. hating. You start, yes. you start yes. looking at these these um articles that's coming out. These boys signing million dollar deals in college. That's a game changer. Yeah. And that's some of them not changer. even the star players. They're like second and third stringers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My my hate for them on that is I always say the Charles Barkley line: "Boy, you were just born at the right time." Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you, you, boy, you ain't that good, boy. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm you ain't worth it. that contract. <laughs> you were just born at the right time. That's it. That's it. But um, I'm happy that it happened. You know, it took a lot of, you know, a lot of players coming through that system to, to finally change yeah. it. But but I'm, I'm happy that, you know, these kids at least have an opportunity. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the game in so many ways for these athletes. Do you think it's going to hurt the yeah. college game? Because on one level, uh, and you was talking about this earlier in terms of sponsorship, if mm-hmm. I can just sponsor a player, and I don't necessarily got to sponsor the university anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you think it's going to hurt the game a little bit? I think it's so much old money in college sports that no, it's not. <laughs> yep. No, that's right. <laughs> it's so much old money in there, so yes. much old money. I don't think it's yeah. going to hurt it at all. You know, but from a from a player's perspective, you know, just think about <clears throat> the players coming out now, say the NBA guys or potential NBA guys coming out now or football players. or um, They have an opportunity now. Like, they just got so many options. Like, you you don't, right. you know, you could do the G League thing or, or whatever right. and make that whatever it is. Their minimum is, what, 250 350 to play the G League. But now I'm looking at college and I'm saying, well, shit, if I'm a top player, I can go command my my price over here. I'm going back. I'm gonna go to college. You know, I'm gonna go to college because right. I can make instead of making this three fifty, I can go make this two mil right here. Easy. And you know what I'm saying? So it's just the options that they have are, are crazy. And it's, then it's and then just think about that. Just think about crazy. that student athlete. Just think about that student athlete. If he got three million social media followers. 
what? <laughs> he can say, hey, man, I got a whole... I mean, he could show up to a game and say, I got a whole section over there wearing my T-shirts they just bought off my website. Yep. Killing the game. Killing the game. What? So now, in the NCAA, they dragged their feet and, and kicked and screamed about doing this. But now you got to, yeah. you can actually, you got, you can compete now. Like, you, you could compete for the t- for the players again. Because before, mm-hmm. when they, you know, now they looking at this, like, I can go get paid and do this and do that. I'm going here. But now, mm-hmm. when you can name your own price, shit, y'all, right. you winning. And they got so many <laughs> leagues to crazy. choose from. They can go, like you said, the G League. They can go overseas. You got the new Overtime League now. I mean, yep. it's, yep. it's, it's, yeah. Now, now, how did you think that would transfer with the women? Have you have you heard much in terms of it with the women's game? No, I haven't, and I'm interested to see. You know, because you know, there's always been mm. the talks about you know the 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 um, non-revenue sport, like how that would play for mm-hmm. them. But you real, you know, in the, the bigger organ like a Kansas, it's it's um it's men's basketball, football, and women's basketball. And mm-hmm. most of the other uh, programs, yep. um, it's that way. You know, men's, men's basketball and football kind of like the one and two. And then the, mm-hmm. the next revenue sport is women's basketball. So we, it's women's so basketball. we have, yeah, so we got to fight. You know, we have a fight in that number two. Um, where it may hurt is those non-revenue sports, you know, the, you know, the rowing and the <laughs> yeah. You know, you know them sports like that. They may not see the benefit of it, but you know those big time sports. You got options. Just think of just think of these kids. If, if this college athlete is their favorite guy, and they he can just say, "Hey, I send y'all some gear every time you post some or whatever." Like all of these things now are available to them. Everything. And like I say, you're just born available. at the right time, boy. We, put, we laid the foundation and the grunt work for this shit. I'm telling you. And you know, it's funny because I was I was kicking and screaming getting on social media. Like, I'm not a social media person. But, yeah. you know, to not be a social media person in this time, you know, day and time is, is like, what do you, you should be. You need to be. You have to be. So I was late to the party, oh, yeah. but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my man gonna hit you with his last question. You already kind of gave it to us, but I want you to give it to the public. What's this Tamika Dixon's next hoop dream? The next hoop dream. Um, hmm. I'm looking at jumping into the real estate game. Um, mm. I think that would be the next step. So I think that might be my next hoop dream, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. Um, I'm trying to figure out what what's gonna happen with this dang on COVID and this coronavirus. And try to let that kind of play out a little bit before I jump into my next opportunity. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what okay. happens. I'm looking forward to it. For that young girl that's out there listening to our podcast and listening to you right now, give her some words of wisdom and advice. Put your head down and get to work. Clear out all the silent, all the noise. Silence everybody. Don't think about anybody. Just think about what your goal is and what your dream is. And put your head down, write it down on paper, and get to work. Fell on the mellow.
I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic, I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic, see with time I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. No, I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle, earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison, your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me, I'm all for going there again. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Hoop Dreams the Podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Written and produced by Arthur Agee, Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming for it all, best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm ballin' like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me.